Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. A special recruiting edition of the Rutgers Ranch, which means, in addition to James Cratch, I'm joined by the one and only Todrick Hunt to discuss what is going on with the Scarlet Knights on the recruiting trail. Todrick, welcome aboard. Hey, guys. Great to be here. It must be fun, you know, to be a recruiting expert when you're working with a head coach who can actually recruit. That seems to be an important dynamic to right. being a recruiter. Expert. Definitely a key component. You know, he's definitely uh, giving the fan base a shot in the arm and gotten those guys excited about reading about Rutgers football again, which is excellent. Uh, and there's a ton going on. Yeah, yeah, there really is. And this has been a, uh, a quite a busy two weeks um, since he's been hired. Look, you know, I, I, this is my thing when I think about recruiting right now, and I'm watching it from afar. You're, you're much more dialed into it than, than we are. I'm just curious, are these, if, if you think these are kids that a good coach would have gotten a year ago, you know what I'm saying? Like, are these kids that Greg is flipping now who would have gone to Rutgers had he been here already? Is he getting kids that anybody that really surprises you? Or is this just, you know, it's just, just a guy who's good at his job who came in here and, and is doing something that really should have been done a while ago? Well, I'll tell you this much. Chris Long, a guy that they flipped uh, from Temple, I mean, he's the he's the all-time single-season leading receiver in New Jersey. Broke the record this year. Had over, I believe it was 1,500 yards. So, I mean, he's absolutely out of his mind on the offensive side of the ball and also adds some value on the defensive side of the ball. So he's a, a pretty big coop. Um, and I know Fran Brown had a lot to do with that. Um, Chris was actually committed to Rutgers secretly a few months back. Fran came in and flipped him to Temple, and that's where he was going to go until Fran Brown ended up here at Rutgers. So uh, that's a huge coup. He's a guy that I think, you know, obviously, I think physically he has some developing to do. Uh, they'll want to see him gain some weight, 20, 25 pounds. But uh, if he could attack, that, attack the offseason real hard, uh, build on his frame, uh, add some functional mass. He could be a guy that you see in the mix uh, as soon as next year. So that was certainly a big one. And they got a big, big underrated kid this past weekend uh, was committed to Bowling Green named Troy Rainey out of Harding High School in, in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And I absolutely love his frame. Uh, he's listed at 6'5", 300, but measured 6'3", 301 pounds up at Rutgers with a nine-foot wingspan. Uh, and the kid can absolutely move. Uh, he, he runs the 100-meter dash for his track and field team. He also wrestles. So those are the type of guys uh, that you want to add to the fold, especially when you're talking about playing in the Big Ten East and in those trenches. Big guys who are athletic, who are tough, who can move, guys who wrestle, you know, so when you don't necessarily have all the chips in your bag, right, and everything to sell, uh, you have to be great at evaluating, right, and you have to look for those key components to guys, you know, and basically dig in your bag, what's worked for you in the past, and wrestlers, guys that get down and dirty, understand how to, um, you know, uh, fight pressure, things of that nature, so uh, I'm really impressed with what they've been able to do in, in, in this first couple of weeks of uh, Shiano being around. Todrick, I look at the class, you know, situation right now. 
Tyreen Powell from Vineland, another guy they flipped from Virginia Tech, he's the top-rated recruit in the class as of now. Could you just tell us a little bit about him? And I see his list as an athlete. Where do you think he ultimately lands once he gets to Rutgers? I think at Rutgers, he's probably a linebacker, like an outside linebacker, or maybe that hybrid. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what type of defense they'll be running, but he's the type of guy that could be like a hybrid, you know, rush in type, a guy that'll, you know, cover some guys, you know, down the field, but also be able to rush off the edge, utilizing his elite length. Um, he's a guy that brings the boom. I've actually watched him, you know, over the past three years, really develop uh, into a young man. And one area where I believe he's really improved is his ability to finish plays. He's a physical tackler. Uh, he was a leader of his team. You know, it was all eyes on him this past season. Any team that went into violent to compete against those guys, he actually played quarterback for the team out of need. So he's showing you he's a team first guy. Um, and he's a guy that committed to Virginia Tech early on. They offered him, I believe they were first. Uh, and he committed, you know, a few months back, which I think ultimately slowed his recruitment down uh, just because he was taken off the market so quickly. I know Penn State jumped in at one point with an offer just to show you, you know, the type of recruit that he could have been. Um, but, you know, ultimately uh, he decided to stay committed to VTech uh, until Greg Schiano came around, you know, with his enticing ways. I mean, that guy, you know, he can sell anything. I mean, you get him in a room, he's just got a certain presence about himself, you know, a certain juice factor that you don't necessarily feel with just anybody. And I think that played a part in, in Tareem Powell flipping over to Rutgers. That was the problem with Chris Ash. I just never felt he was a closer. You know, you need a, you need a guy who can go in there, go in the living room and, 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 and get these, you know, can get the recruit at the end. All, I mean, it's great to have good assistants and it's great to identify them and develop them, but you really got to be someone who can get them to sign the bottom, the bottom line. That's what Shanna's always done well, our two guys who are coming in who are not, uh, who, who are, you know, more of experienced, older kids. They've got junior college offensive linemen, uh, Cedric Palant. Is that how you pronounce it, Palant? Cedric Palant. Cedric Palant, okay. And uh, the graduate transfer from UCF, uh, Malik Barrow. Uh, are those two guys you expect to see uh, play right away? And then what, what can we expect from them? Well, Paylon, I mean, any anytime you get, you know, a guy from the junior college ranks or through the transfer portal, you're hoping for a plug and play, right? A guy that you could just insert into your offense or defense and he can, you know, give you add, add some depth and give you some immediate productivity. Uh, a guy like Paylon, I think, uh, is, is certainly in that mold, uh, you know, at least offensively. Barrow, I know, is a defensive guy. He'll be coming in and, and, and playing along the defensive line. But uh, Paylon, certainly, I mean, they, they'll if, if, if they're offering him, and, and that's another thing. Uh, about this uh, new old staff, <laughs> uh, or how, however I should put it, um, they've been really meticulous about their offers since Greg has been around. The first couple of days, I, I was kind of sitting around wondering because I had heard he had visited, you know, a few places, but you know, I had expected this breakneck pace of just things going on and him just spraying offers all around the, the globe and kind of <laughs> seeing what sticks, sort of like Ash did when he came in a few years back, but. Greg took a really meticulous approach. Um, I mean, they're fully evaluating these kids, only offering kids that they would accept uh, a commitment from, not just throwing things out there to see what sticks, you know, or what they can do. They're fully evaluating these guys academically as well um, before extending these offers. And these are guys that they really expect to land in the end. So uh, the change of focus is, is 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 interesting. I think it's a good thing because it adds value to the offer, right? You're, it's not a school that's just pretty much offering everybody. Right. You know, you're talking about, you know, Chris, Chris Ash and staff who would offer, you know, maybe over 400 
500 kids per class. And that's a, that's a ton of kids. And I think it devalues your offers a little bit when you do that. So I like the meticulous approach. And if they're offering a guy, um, just to get back to my original point, they expect him to be able to come in and contribute. And Pelant, you know, I love his, his finishing abilities, played left tackle. Um, I don't know if he'll play that at Rutgers, but if you can play left tackle, then you certainly have some feet and the ability to, to protect the blind side. So if they stick you inside or somewhere like that where you have help on both sides, I mean, you should be a really special player. So I think he adds great value and a guy that has experience protecting the blind side. You can also play him inside and maybe on the right side of the line. Uh, he's got a big beefy build. You know, Rutgers certainly looking to get bigger in the trenches and more physical. Uh, and I think he's he could be a key component in that. Uh, a guy like Barrow had a pre-existing relationship with Shiano from his days at Ohio right, State. Right. Um, has never really gotten off the ground. A, a big-time four-star coming out of INGs. Had some injury issues, I believe a couple of ACLs. Medically retired from football. So that's why when I heard that Rutgers was interested, it was a little bit of a head-scratcher for me. Um, but at the same time, sometimes... When you're two years removed, you know, from those type of injuries, as opposed to one year, you really bounce back and get that athletic boost and get your legs back. Uh, so he ultimately ended up transferring to U UCF where he played. And I believe it was like four games or so made a couple of plays, not not a lot of high level production. But I don't know if that's the best indication of what he'll bring at Rutgers being a couple years out from those injuries. Todrick, this uh, two other position questions for you. Uh, Malachi, Max, Melton. He's listed as a cornerback. Do you see him being a corner or a receiver at Rutgers? And, you know, obviously they've signed, you know, Barrow, and, and we know they're in on a couple of other defensive ends that might sign, you know, either Wednesday or early sign period or go into February. Victor Kanopka, the, the big kid from Blair, you know, Bosco basketball player, I'm looking at his size. Do you think he's a guy who potentially, you know, everyone says he's a project. Is that project maybe going to be moving him to like off at like left tackle? You think I'm just looking at the because they're bringing they're they're in the mix for other defensive ends. They have some linemen in this class. I'm just wondering if he's a guy who might be moved to the offensive side of the ball eventually. Uh, I, I think he's certainly a candidate for that. When you take a look at his frame and his athleticism, you say, wow, uh, for a kid this big, he's doing a nice job at DN, you know, turning speed to power, making athletic plays despite being raw, being a first-year football guy. A lot of people don't uh, realize, I mean, this this past year was his first season ever playing football. He was a kid at Don Bosco, one of the biggest football powers um, in the Big Six in, in, in North Jersey, uh, but he was a basketball guy. You know, ended up taking a basketball uh, scholarship to one of the service academies and just ended up, you know, ended up feeling like that wasn't quite for him. Uh, took his talents over to Blair, where a lot of tall, you know, athletic defensive end types have gone and flourished, you know, with power five offers. You know, Rutgers ended up jumping in. I believe Virginia was first. A couple others may have jumped in as well. Um, but they really uh, jumped on him and recruited him hard even before Greg Schiano joined the staff. Um, I know Nunzio was paying him a lot of attention, uh, things of that nature. And, and ultimately, when you look at his skill set and you see what he can do on defense, you just think, wow, imagine what he could do on offense. Now, to me, offense is more of a offensive line is, is more of a thinking man's position. Like defensively, especially if you're playing inside, you can get away with playing a little bit earlier because you can you can kind of just go. Right. Especially if you're playing in, in, a, in an attacking defense where you got to get in gaps, where you're stunting and you pretty much have a predetermined, you know, move 
you know, or step or stunt, you know, prior to the play. Offensive line is the thinking man's position. You know, you're dealing with defensive linemen shifting before plays, and you really have to know exactly what you're doing offensively. So I think if he does end up being an offensive lineman at Rutgers, you know, the development curve becomes, a, you know, a lot longer. And you, you maybe start seeing playing a little bit later in his career. But if he does, and you know, he could he could easily end up a three technique on the defensive side of the ball, you know, which is probably where I would first look to go with it when looking at his athleticism, just so you could get him on the field a little bit quicker. All right. So we've got a Don Bosco running back who's close to committing, but not the Don Bosco running back that everyone was hoping would commit. Uh, what is going on with that situation? Uh, is, is Jalen Berger still an option, you think, for the Scarlet Knights? Or is he leaning, uh, you know, taking the visit to UCLA? Is he leaning to another direction? And uh, the other kid, uh, Kyle Monag, how do you pronounce his name? I'm going to murder this kid's name too. Monagai? Right. Is he also, is he a guy who's you're going to see commit before uh, before Wednesday? What's What's going on there? I mean, I would expect to see, you know, well, common on guy, he's got, you know, over 20 offers. So, you know, he could certainly, you know, go a lot of different places, but I would expect for him to commit to Rutgers at some point today uh, after picking up the offer uh, on Sunday, both guys being teammates, you know, I've gotten a lot of questions, you know, about whether or not, you know, his offer will deter Jalen or actually entice him. And I think it'll entice him. Uh, those two guys have really developed a, a strong friendship over the past two years, really um, being the two stars of that Don Bosco program. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, they've just been absolutely all over the place when it comes to running the football, uh, catching the football out the backfield and also running routes down the field. Uh, so, I mean, they've done a very nice job and, and have great camaraderie and a brotherhood that's been developed. Um, so I know Jalen was super supportive when his teammate got that offer. Um, and I think if anything, it will entice him. Uh, to come to a school with with a guy that he's comfortable with, familiar with, and has a good friendship with. And they also work well off one another. Manungai actually led the team in receiving yards and rushing yards this past season. A lot of people don't realize that, just to show you the type of quality player he is. But it's kind of cool because one guy was able to be the decoy while the other guy was able to get off. And then they would switch those roles throughout the season as well. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I like it. I like the offer. I like what Manungai can do in between the tackles with this quick twitch. He also has the ability to run through guys. Uh, Jalen Berger, uh, also an explosive downhill guy, uh, opened up his offense uh, this year doing more, um, you know, from the outside as a receiver and in the slot. And I love his natural ability to catch the football, you know, a true uh, two-way threat on the offensive side of the ball. And I don't think one – you know, cancels out the other in any way. I think they work really well off each other. All right, so, Todrick, speaking of Berger, my big question for you, you know, and I've looked at the class, and, and it's been a ton of excitement and momentum over the two weeks since Greg took over, and I believe they were 102nd-ranked recruiting class when, when he was hired. Now they're 62nd um, on Tuesday morning on the eve of, you know, the start of the early signing period. But, you know, guys like Powell, Long, you know, Melton, Longerbeam, you know, I almost could, like, not to be negative, but it seems like the guys that Greg and Fran were going to, and Nunzio would be able to easily kind of flip and, and bring in the in-state guys, like, they've landed those guys. So my question is, burger aside, what else can they do in terms of high school recruits between now and February I mean, are there any other big names, you know, four-star recruits that you think Rutgers is in for? Or is it basically Berger's the one big splash piece and, 
maybe they'll add a player here or there. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is, in a roundabout way, is do you think they're kind of close to being done, at least on the high school recruit front? Uh, yeah, I would say close. Um, there are a handful of guys along the defensive line um, that I know they're taking taking a hard look at. You know, guys who could potentially, you know, decide in February. Uh, and as of right now, you know, that may be the plan for some of those guys. You know, guys like Ja Joyner, uh, the defensive end commit uh, at Boston College, who was looking closely at Minnesota. Uh, especially before uh, defensive line coach Jim Panagos was hired by Rutgers. So, uh, you know, Panagos has some tight relationships with his staff. Um, and that's why a lot of people were thinking that he would be headed to Minnesota. Now with Panagos here at Rutgers, uh, I think that certainly strengthens Rutgers hands. A lot of people also don't know that Fran Brown also has some uh, coaching ties um, to to Ja Joyner's high school staff. I believe he played junior college football with one of the guys on that staff. So they've got multiple ties uh, to the kid. Uh, Greg Schiano and Fran Brown visited him last week. You know, they've definitely been pouring it on pretty heavily. Um, he did not end up, you know, coming to Rutgers for the final official visit weekend, ended up at Minnesota with Jim Panagos, who actually was hired away to Rutgers in the middle of his visit. He actually made a comment to me about <laughs> it, saying he had to kind of adjust to that and what that was all about. But I think ultimately in the end, he could end up at Rutgers. Um, there's a couple other defensive linemen. Um, that Rutgers recently offered that I believe they could take a shot at. A kid named Paris Shand out of Connecticut. I uh, was chatting with him a bit last night. He says he's really high on Rutgers, but has only been able to visit one school so far. Um, you know, I know Rutgers is really high on him, and he's a kid that if he doesn't sign, I mean, he could potentially sign on Wednesday. As of right now, doesn't believe he will. Um, but I believe, I feel like Rutgers is, is you know, doing really well there and could potentially land him. Could be depending on when he signs. And that's another thing about, you know, Jalen Berger as well. I, I would think that, I mean, I know he's not announcing until the All-American game, but I'd assume he'd need to at least, you know, privately commit to any school he plans to attend by the end of the early signing period just to ensure he'll have a spot held. You know, it actually benefits the school he'll announce to for him to wait till the game to publicly put it out, you know, because it's clout for the school on a national stage. But I would think the school's, he's most serious about at this stage would want to know his intentions by the end. All of right. Let's go. go and I was going to say, I think we were at 14. The class is 16 guys. Now 14 high school recruits. Um, I know that it's always a moving target of how big the class is going to be. Although it looks like this is going to be closer to the 25 max than we expected. Uh, at least when Ash was here, but Todrick, like all, all the 14 current high school recruits, you expect those guys will get sent letters this week, or are there other guys that maybe Rutgers is going to kind of slow play into the second signing period? Nah, I mean, I think that would be dirty. I, I feel like everybody that's, you know, encompassed in this class right now, you know, are guys that will be signing to Rutgers okay. um, and, and signing to Rutgers on Wednesday. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, it's called the early signing period, but it's actually right. become the signing period. Because now if you wait until February, I mean, you're taking a real chance at not finding a home. I mean, even a guy like Jalen Berger, who was an All-American, who, you know, really got off, you know, jumped off the porch with more offers than anybody in this class, you know, within the state. Even a guy like him, I feel like, needs to be protected, you know, when advancing your recruitment beyond the early signing period. Because as spots fill up, 
you know, unfortunately, you know, schools just don't have that availability for you. You know, I mean, you take a look at, you know, the, and, and people always want to know the scholarship count at Rutgers, right? I mean, the number is ever changing, you know, but but I hear they could potentially have a class into the 20s. I don't know if I expect them to go, you know, all the way to 25. I mean, that's a pretty, pretty significant number. But when you start crunching things, you kind of realize how tough that would be to get to. You have to remember Brian Ugle, right, who... I believe is on a blue shirt, right? Yeah, but I'm hearing. I think Ugu will count as. I mean, the way it was set up last year um, was that Ugu was going to count toward 2020, so it would have been right. 24. But but then again, Rayon Buell never got to campus. So Good point. Good point. The question is, can they count Ugu? To, I mean, as someone told me, <laughs> there's lots of tricks, and Greg knows <laughs> right. all the tricks. Right. And, and and let me just run through this real quick. But you got a guy like Ugu, right? I've he- I'm hearing rave reviews about him and his development since he joined the program. So you absolutely have to scholarship that guy, right? Um, so that takes, you know, the number to 17 when you add the, the, the 15 high school signees and then borrow. Um, and then there are only like seven graduating seniors. So you already have to come up with 10 slots. Right. And you'd subtract whatever attrition there was or is going to be. And I'm sure there are at least a couple guys not on scholarship who we think are. But that should show you how tight a scholarship situation they're in and how they have to get a scholarship back in order to award one. And that's what you call a numbers crunch. All right. So each week, Todd, we do uh, questions from the from the Rutgers Insider, of course, NJ.com backslash text. Uh, you've been in there a bunch uh, lately answering people personally, which is great. So if you get in there, you can talk to the man yourself with your questions or you know, me, Cratch, and Sarge. I know it's, it's not as exciting. Uh, all right, so let me uh, dive into on. some questions. <laughs> uh, for Todrick, have you heard any news on Alex Atakavich? Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, the big OL who just de- decommitted from FSU? Is Rutgers interested in yes. him? Um, anything? Yeah. I don't I don't expect Rutgers to go okay. on him. Uh I believe at this point they're pretty much done with offensive line unless it's just an absolute no-brainer. Uh the focus from this point out will, will be on defensive right. line. Uh Crash, you might be able to feel this one too, but my big question is what is the status with Blackshear? With all the excitement and positive news going on with Shannon and commitments and transfers involving quality players, I would hope that Raheem could be convinced to return. Any word or thoughts on him, fellas? What do we got? So uh, I I talked to someone inside the program who said that, you know, Raheem was spotted in the health center somewhat recently, but it wasn't like a situation with art. Like art is definitely in back with the program. He's on board. It seems like Blackshear is still kind of sorting out his options. I know there were reports that he took an official visit to Virginia tech this past weekend. I know people said he also visited temple. My guess is that Raheem Blackshear remains that he's not going to be back at Rutgers. Um, I just think at this point, if he was going to stay, I mean, you never know, but, and Todrick might be able to add some more insight to this, but my guess as of now is that he does not return. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I just don't know how you do return, you know, after, um, you know, the way things went down. Um, but what, uh, but I will say this one people, one thing people don't know about black shears that despite him using his red shirt and, you know, doing what what some people would say was bailing on the team. He did give the team a look each week working on the scout team. 
you know, and that's something that most guys in his position wouldn't have done, but he did it. And it does show some character. So I definitely wanted to at least credit him with that. I know the optics of it all. And, you know, um, the way the game is played, the way the game is taught, you play for your brothers. Um, and I'm sure there are a number of guys in that locker room who do feel let down. Um, and, and all the arrows are pointing to him leaving. It's kind of strange how it's taken this long. Uh, for him to settle on a distant destination. Um, but, you know, whether he goes or comes back, you know, he certainly does have, um, you know, some character. I just think the way this new system is playing out with the transfer portal, it's really, um, I don't know if it's being utilized the way it was intended. Uh, it's certainly been a get out of jail free card. I think it's negatively impacting the high school kids, right? Because if you're a, ho- a coach looking to turn things around quickly, knowing that you've only got a year to year or so to do it, right before they're on before they're on you, you know you're going to look to an older, you know, more physically mature, experienced guy, right? A plug and play, a guy that you could just insert in your offense or defense and have it go, as opposed to a kid that you have to develop from the ground up. Now. Those teams that do develop from the ground up, I think, benefit from that, you know, if they can make it through the first, you know, couple years of their program's existence, um, you know, during their time at the helm. But a lot of these guys just want these quick fixes, these quick answers. One thing that goes against Rutgers is they have a hard time getting, especially those JUCO kids in or the initial non-qualifiers into the school period, you know, but. If if there's availability there and an opportunity to, I think that's something that they, you know, most coaches, um, you know, actually prefer, which unfortunately is impacting the high school kids. Speaking of which, here's a question from uh, Rutgers Insider. Hey guys, do we do we know anything about Justin Shorter or where he will end up? Uh, Penn State wide receiver from Monmouth Junction, I believe he is in the transfer or South Brunswick. What, yeah. Any thought on where he might uh, where he might go, Todrick? Well. Well, Shorter's kept his recruitment uh, in-house, you know, but I've heard his name connected with the Oregon Ducks and the Michigan Michigan Wolverines, you know, so it wouldn't be surprised. It wouldn't surprise me if he ended up at one of those two places, Uh, but it could be anywhere. You know, I'm not hearing much about a relationship with Shiano and Rutgers. Uh, My colleagues who cover the team say it was a strange relationship at Penn State. Mm-hmm. that he wasn't really productive when he did play, um, but that the quarterbacks also didn't target him right. much. Uh, but it definitely sounds like a change of scenery was in order. Strange that he's still there because he entered the portal, I believe, back in November. Uh, to so, so to see him lingering there is pretty interesting. You would think that Rutgers would take a long, hard look there, but I'm not hearing that much is going going on between the two sides. Here we've got a couple. We've got a couple funny ones. This is this is great. Uh, need an announcement. For Anthony Campanile as DC, just got discharged from Penn having bypass surgery. Being ripped open like a crab would make healing so much more tolerable. <laughs> so, that is so a good one. Good. First so, off, I hope that, that insider is doing well. Yeah, that's yeah I hope I hope you're wherever you are, sir. I hope things are going okay and you're feeling better. Number one, number two, we don't have an update yet on uh, on Anthony. I. I Cratch, what's your sense there? Are we waiting out just is he just waiting out till after signing day or what is the what is what is the deal with this? My guess is that after we get past signing day there will be some sort of movement. But here's the deal from what we talked to a lot of people. Anthony's got options. Yeah. You know, Greg would like to bring him here as a defensive coordinator and pay him a lot of money. Jim Harbaugh, by all indications, really wants to keep him on staff and is willing to pay him a lot of money. And then his good friend Jeff Halfley just became the defense, you know, head coach at Boston College, a place where Anthony has worked in the past. And 
the belief is it would be very interested in having Anthony be his defensive coordinator. So I think there's there's a lot of options for Anthony in the sense that you know he's obviously a guy who's got a very promising coaching career. He's going to be a head coach someday. Right. Does he come home to Rutgers and work under Greg and be the defensive coordinator? Does he go to BC and be the DC? I would say Rutgers is probably now, you know, it's a new era for Rutgers. They probably can pay him more than Boston College can, but he's inheriting a team that's a lot further along than Boston than Rutgers is at BC. A team that's probably, you know, isn't a bowl game this year. It's going to have that talent level in a league, you know, he's familiar and it's had success right. in it. Or if he stays at Michigan, even if it just comes with a raise to start, Don Brown is going to be a head coach again someday. It's everyone, it's been, you know, when Rutgers is going through this, people said Don Brown, you know, was always considered a sleeper candidate to be the Rutgers head coach. He's made it very clear, you know, he's a, I think he's in his like early mid 60s, but he's, he's a young, energetic guy who wants one more shot at being a head coach. So Anthony might say, well, if I go to, back to Michigan for a year and get a big raise, I could be the defensive coordinator at Michigan in a year. It's interesting, now, though. This is the one time, though, that you, you have more job security at Rutgers than you do at Michigan. Because if Harbaugh loses to Ohio State again next year, which is likely, you could be in this. You could be that, that entire staff could be, could be replaced. That is true. Yeah. So it, it's a very, right. I mean, I, as I when you think about it with all the different factors and caveats, it makes sense that you would take all the time you can right. to sort it out. Because it is a – honestly, like, just just the three of us talking, I mean, it's not our careers, obviously. But, like, <laughs> I don't know what the best – I don't know what I would think the best option is. Because yeah. Yeah. there's strength I mean, weaknesses to all three right. situations. You, you only get to be that hot young coach once, right? And and you want to get it right, right? You want to keep that trajectory aiming upwards. You want to stay on that path, you know, where where – you know, your name is buzzing, you're doing positive things, you don't fall into a bad situation just because you took something a little bit too soon. And I think that's kind of, you know, where he's coming from. And, and and there's other dust to settle, right? After these other teams finish their seasons, he may have other opportunities out there as well. So I'm sure that's something that's in the back of his mind. You know, that said, you know, he only has one chance to come back to his home state uh, and do something a little bit more personal. So I'm sure that's the allure of Rutgers. Um, but at the same time, with having so many different things on the table and the timing of it all being a, a bit tricky, I could see why he could be holding out there. Um, but I know from from the Rutgers perspective, it would have been nice to have him installed prior to the early signing period where it could have positively, you know, affected, you, you know, your recruitment. And even guys like, you know, Fran Brown and Greg Shiano only had a couple weeks on the ground to really go to work and they've made a lot happen uh in a short period of time but uh i know from from, from the Rutgers standpoint they, they definitely would have liked, loved to have him in here a couple weeks ago uh you know and and, and really get that piece going but there, there'll still be another piece right up until february as far as the second uh piece of this uh of, of the signing period where they'll get to go to work but they'll just be less right. you know a lot less players left on the market Okay, about 53 people asked about the OC, which we, we really don't have. This is called the Shiano lockdown effect, folks. Uh, he is not one who leaks information. Uh, it, it's a tighter ship than people are used to with uh, with Flood and Ash, uh, certainly. So we have not gotten a lot of information on the OC. So uh, what do you guys hear? What do you, what do you guys predict is going to happen with the uh, offensive coordinator here? Well, I, I stumbled on Gleason um, a ways back. 
And I know for a lot of people, he's kind of become their leading, their leading guy, or at least the the one guy whose name is still kind of buzzing out of that group. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, like you guys, I haven't heard much about it, you know, over the past week or so. Uh, so I'm, I'm sitting here anxiously awaiting the information just like uh, everybody else. Yeah, I, I, I would go as far as to say that I know that I heard from some folks that like Greg has told the kids, you know, what he's looking for in an offensive coordinator, but he right. hasn't provided any names. So it's basically just trying to take that those, you know, broad strokes and try to like, I do think Gleason is a guy that I, I, I think for a fact, I know Greg was definitely interested in him. I think the big question is whether or not you're going to be able to shake him loose from Oklahoma State. And honestly, you know, Penn State needs an offensive coordinator now. So that means, I think, you know, Steve, you said this to Rutgers Insiders last week. Now, you even be able, not, even though that Rutgers has the money now, it's now yeah. it, it, that's, it's still swimming in the same pool with those Sharks that have the money and have the players and have the fact that the last two Penn State offensive coordinators have become head coaches. So right. I think that that's going to be now a factor for Rutgers as well. All right, and this is my favorite all-time Rutgers text question. I've saved it for last because we have a great answer for it, too. Uh, what are the funniest, if any, text replies that you received by accident with people texting your insider surface? service? <laughs> I almost hit send on, no, it's really bad. The toilet basically exploded and caught myself <laughs> right before I hit send. Uh, all right, so the best one we've gotten, and this is no lie, this person's listening I couldn't reveal you if I could, but I really want to help you out this night. Somebody texted us a hotel and a room number with a heart. Wow. And see you soon. Right, Cratch? (laughs) Yes. Yes. And it took me, it took every fiber of my being, of course, (laughs) not to call the number and say, hey, 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 sexy, I'll be, I'll be there in a few minutes. (laughs) Hey, Steve, I guess you got to get in where you fit in, huh? Exactly. (laughs) It was a hotel in California. Uh, I just kept on thinking to myself, you know, I hope this guy is just not sitting there going, God, she didn't call. Why didn't she call? I texted him in the room. Yeah, that is by far the best, uh, the best thing we've ever gotten by mistake. Um, so there you go. Congrats to whoever did that. I hope, I hope it worked out and you figured it out that uh, that you got the wrong number. All right, Todrick, do you want to stay on the line or you you want to go away now? What do you want to do? We're going to talk hoops a little bit. We, <laughs> we appreciate your expertise on recruiting. Okay. Okay, I appreciate you guys. It's certainly been fun, uh, you know, talking about recruiting with signing day uh, popping up tomorrow. Looking forward to, you know, an exciting day. Hopefully some, you know, interesting things happening. Um, But I really like the work that they've done so far with this class and, you know, with a few more scholarships in hand, marching towards the traditional signing period. It'll be fun to see what they do. Absolutely. And look out for our coverage on Wednesday. It's going to be a busy day. As always, we'll have about 413 posts on the website and we'll be texting you updates as we go along. All right, sir. Thank you for joining us on that. It's much appreciated. Uh, Don't close your browser, as we mentioned, or we'll lose the whole thing. (laughs) I got you guys. Appreciate you guys. Good talking to you. All right, Dodger. All right. All right, Cratch. Let's talk hoops because that was a really, you weren't there, but it was a really fun, uh, fun day for the Scarlet Knights. Uh, Absolutely obliterated. Seton Hall, and I think I, I kind of expected that they would play well in front of the home crowd. The rack is worth, you know, seven, eight, nine points on, on, on when the crowd's jumping like that, you know, but to go up 14 nothing, uh, to never really lose that, you know, lose that lead either, it, it was impressive. Uh, I'm, I'm just, you know, 
what when you looked at that out, outcome, what do you think that means? Does it change this, uh, the trajectory of the season as a whole? I don't know if it changes the trajectory of the season. Um, I do think that I'm very eager. I will be at the Lafayette game on the, you know Sunday, one o'clock tip off. A Lafayette, you know, good Patriot League program. You know, tough. You know, not going to make a lot of mistakes. I do. I think I don't think that's a trap game per se, but I do think that's a that's an interesting test for this team because you know it's all kind of forgotten now. But early right. on in the season, they were kind of having these nip and tuck games with low major programs. And Steve Peichel kept on telling people, "Don't worry about, it, don't worry about, it, don't worry about." It. Hey, you know what? Real quick, Wisconsin and Seton Hall, tremendous two game swing for Steve Peichel. Yeah. Because I really feel like if he had lost those two games, he, no one was going to call for his job or anything. But people were going to sort of start to tune out on the season. Oh, absolutely! I think I don't yeah, know. No question. No so, question. I think he needed that. Now he's kind of back. You know, it's you know I think the whole Shiano thing. You know, coming in. You know, it, it, Steve needed those two wins. He got him. What I do think it changes is, and I'm a big firm believer that you know. The students all showed up to, granted Seton Hall, but everyone showed up. The place was packed. Everyone went nuts. They stormed the court. People, I think fans start to chase that feeling. Yeah. And now I look at their home schedule, and obviously, you know, Lafayette and Caldwell give them two wins. You know, they, they start at Nebraska, which has gotten a lot better in the last two weeks. A big, a a really big game. Because game. They, have to, they have to prove they can game. win on the road. So that, that's, a, that's, exactly. an important, that's an important game. Yep. But then I look, you know, okay, Penn State at home, Indiana at home, Minnesota. Nebraska comes here, Purdue, Michigan, you know, Michigan at the Garden, that's a road game. Northwestern, you know, I just think can they start to I don't they're, look, they're not gonna have eight a sellout probably every night in Big Ten play at home, but can they get sixty five hundred, seven thousand, eight thousand people in this in the rack every night? And if they're going nuts, all of a sudden I think you look at that Big Ten home schedule and think to yourself, is there a possibility they go like seven and two in their remaining nine conference games at home or something like that? If you can get six or seven conference wins at home, you're basically yeah. there when it comes to that NIT line. I know lots of folks, Senator Lesniak included, think this is NCAA tournament team, and they very well may be, but you got to shoot for the NIT first. And I just think if, if the rack can become a place where it's very hard to win at, that is a major step forward for Rutgers, and they're suddenly, the, you know, postseason seems very realistic. Because if they can just rack up a bunch of wins at home, they just only have to get a couple of road wins, and they're in great right. shape. Right, yeah, and if I'm looking at that, and, la- la- and looking at the teams that have made the NIT from the from the from the Big Ten, Nebraska got there with a six and twelve regular season in the Big Ten last year, a decent non-conference schedule, and then they went they won two games uh, in the Big Ten tournament. So. You know, there's a lot of paths there, but it's certainly—I think it's certainly with with well within reach. A little harder for the NCAA's, NCAA's now. You know, you got to have a winning record in conference. I think that's going to be a tough. Sell. I mean, the schedule is just Big Ten is the best conference yeah. in the country. I mean, the back end of that we talked about at the front end. You know, it's nice to have. You know, you kind of ease into the well, not really ease into it, but you have an easier front end to the Big Ten schedule. But when it gets to February, Michigan, Maryland, Ohio State, Michigan again, you know, I mean, it, it is it is a brutal sort of stretch there. Uh, you know, it's just hard to imagine unless something really, you know, they really catch fire that that, that they get enough uh, on their resume for, for NCAAs. No, I agree. But, hey, there's hope. There's hope. Yes, there's hope. And, and it was, it was going to be no hope. Yeah. 
after they lost, you know, at Pitt at Michigan State, they turned it around. I think that's that's a good thing for Rutgers, obviously. Right. It would just be it would just be great for the program, for the fan base, if they're in a position where we're talking about this in mid February. You know, maybe not saying, Hey, look, they're on the bubble, but maybe even just saying, Well, there's there's an outside chance, you know. I mean that that to me uh would be a positive step. And it's a really likable team too, Cratch. I mean, I, you know, Very Ron Harper might be my favorite uh, Rutgers yeah. basketball player in a long time. No, love the way say, he plays, love his personality. Yeah. <laughs> Very likable team. I'll say last season, there was like a three day stretch where we were like, we did one NITology post on NJ.com. <laughs> right. uh, it didn't last very long, but yeah. I think it'll last longer this year. Also, yeah. switching sides, women's basketball, yes. best part since 2005, 10 and 1. Amazing. She's incredible, Vivian. You, you thought I thought at the end of last year. Well, I just didn't know. Like when you disappear from a team in the NCAA tournament, I just assumed that it was going to be very hard for her to get that thing back. Not only does she have it back, but crack, she's got the number one recruiting class in the Big Ten. I mean, yes, uh, she. Uh, it, it's that's amazing. It, now, look, I will say this: um, they they're about to start. You know, step into Big Ten play. It's a big stretch. I think that. Three of their first four Big Ten games are on the road. They host Indiana, which is in the top 25 at the rack on New Year's Eve. So I do think that, you know, look, both Rutgers men's and women's basketball don't play the toughest non-conference schedules in the world. I think that Vivian's schedule actually was tougher than Steve Peichel's, all things considered. But this is going to be a little step up. Just hit the road early in Big Ten play to have a, you know, a ranked Indiana team come into the rack. So... We're going to learn a little bit more about them in the next two weeks. But it's really a great start. They're playing well. Arella Garante is having a tremendous season. They're young. They're talented. You know, there's excitement. You know, I talk to people who say that, you know, the, the time off did Vivian well. That right. she's, you know, she's clearly was, you know, struggling with some things last year. But she's on the ball. She, she's back to her old self. She's recruiting well. She's, co- you know, the team is clicking. So I think there's, there's a lot of excitement going there. And I think the big intriguing thing is going to be once they carry into the new year, if they keep this streak going, how does that kind of form? Because, look, you know, the bottom line is I feel like we ping pong back and forth between who's going to be the first Rutgers Big Ten champion. And obviously it requires a tournament, but it could be Vivian in the end, which I think people probably maybe would have expected when they entered the Big Ten. So. Uh, it seems like they got a they got a good team this year, off to a good start. But they but they have the last few seasons had some <clears throat> lulls in the second half of the season. They got to avoid that. Right, right. And it's, it's Sylvia, to to your point. Someone said to Vivian, she looks ten years younger. Number one, uh, and also it's funny. She is also the first one to really take advantage of the new facility with recruiting. Is what from what from what I've heard yes. that 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 has become a major selling point. And it's interesting. It's it's fitting to me because she was always the one who was willing to say what people did not want to hear about Rutgers facilities. And we're going 10 years ago when she would, you know, she would rip the fact that back in, they had like a high school scoreboard. People remember this thing before they got the jumble jump, they literally had a score, a scoreboard hanging over the court at the rack that should have been in Elizabeth high. Uh, You know I mean? So she was the one who was willing to say that. And it's, so it's fitting to me that she is now, the one yes. who's taking advantage of that place, and, and it, it's going great. Uh, all right, what else have we got? Anything good? What, wrestling? What else is going on in, that's uh, in the winter? This coming weekend, you got the senior nationals out in, in Fort Worth, Texas. So Nick Soriano, Anthony Ashnell, both expected to compete. Top five in each weight class qualify for the Olympic trials. So this is probably where you're going to see, you know, 
the two of them, you know, they'll have other chances if they don't qualify this coming weekend, but this is a good chance for both of them to kind of book their way into the Olympic trials, which would be at Penn State in April. Um, I think at that point we might start to see some clarity about what Nick Soriano plans to do, whether he's going to re-enroll at Rutgers and wrestle in the second semester, whether he's going to stay out. Um, you know, one thing, if for some reason he doesn't qualify at Senior Nationals, I believe the next qualifying event would be to win the NCAA championship. So that could be something that factors in for him. Um, you know, and that's something that's going to go right up to the gun. My understanding is that Nick could literally re-enroll at Rutgers at 11 p.m. on New Year's Eve. Be good. <laughs> Fascinating. So, that's great. Um, yeah, so it's going to go right up to the gun. But So we'll wait on that. But obviously the, the focus for them is qualifying for the Olympic trials, moving one step closer to getting to Tokyo. Um it, it's about it. I mean, I yeah. think we're, we're kind of covered all. I just think I can, I can reveal this now, Cratch. People, people who have listened this far into the podcast deserve a little bit, a little tidbit of breaking news that Nick Suriano and Anthony Alshnow will be NGA.com's New Jersey sports person of the year this year. So that story will be up on the website probably tomorrow morning. I can give you a little teaser now. Uh, looking through everybody who, whatever anybody accomplished in 2019, either playing for a New Jersey team or as a New Jersey, you know, native, mm-hmm. nobody tops those two. So that's uh, that's an honor that I'm sure they will forget very quickly. <laughs> Question uh, for you though. Yeah. Okay. If they had hired Greg when they should have, which was basically November 5th when they met with him in Columbus. Yeah. Would he would he be sports person of the year? <laughs> what what I am I going to do? So. What am I going to do next? I have to save something for next year. You know what I mean? Come, That's come true. On. That is true. <laughs> um, no, my big – I'm just – I'm really intrigued to see how this signing period goes. And, you know, as I mentioned to Todd, Rick, I felt like Greg – and this is of no knock against them, but, like, the, the kids they were flipping and getting commitments from were kids that basically, if Ash was better at his job, he would have taken care of. There's no question. I feel now. The, the question is, what do you? Burger aside, I know that's a unique situation. That's a home run if you get him. And I, I think Rutgers is very much in it. But like, what? Like, is there a, is there another trick up? Yeah, you know, Greg has got you know hidden behind door number three that's going to wow people even further. I think we're going to find out uh, very soon. All right, let's sign off there. Thanks uh, for listening. Thanks to Todd for hopping on. Cratch, good talking to you. We'll be back, I don't know, probably in the new year, maybe. It seems Christmas coming next week could be a hard to yeah. schedule one, but we'll, 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 have, uh, we'll have a podcast soon. Mm-hmm.